Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome in to Soccer Morning. We are ready to go. We are live. We are feeling okay, I suppose. It's an international week. And I know some of you who have given yourselves over to the club game, specifically um, in Europe, are, are always... A little dismayed when the international break comes around. It means no club matches this weekend. Uh, I, Arsenal fans are always complaining in my timeline on Twitter about the about the break. I don't know. I mean, MLS is going to play through it, and we'll get to the problems about that here in uh, maybe a little bit. Open up the phone lines to that because I do have some questions. It, it is troubling if FIFA is going to schedule these dates. And I think I saw Steve Goff of the Washington Post tweet out that 58 players are going to be missing from MLS. If that's the case, and not all of them are starters, I know, then why are you playing to, I don't know, I'm a little frustrated. Uh, I, I am a little frustrated by that. I'm not sure I wouldn't want MLS to happen, but at the same time, I don't want this bastardized version of MLS we're going to get this weekend. Anyway, big show for you today. Rather than focus on domestic topics with our guests, we'll focus on those European topics. David Cartledge, our friend in Spain, will join us. We'll cover the uh, we'll cover El Clasico that happened on Sunday. Puts uh, Barcelona out in front of Real Madrid by four points in La Liga. We'll talk about Gareth Bale's car getting punched because apparently it's a big story. Apparently Real Madrid needs to address this incident because, yeah, I'm punching the Bentley. I, is that a euphemism for something? Can we turn that into a euphemism for something? I, I'm punching the Bentley. I don't know what that could possibly mean. After that, Christian Hanez uh, will join us from England. We'll talk about the Premier League weekend, and I would also like to get into some of the initiatives being put forth by Greg Dyke of the FA with Christian. Interesting things. They're going to tighten up those work permit regulations. That definitely has some bearing on American players, but has bearing on foreign players in general. And then there's this idea of limiting the number of foreign players for the Premier League. Number one, I don't see how this is going to ever fly with teams like Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, etc. Number two, the open question for me is whether or not this is even legal under European Union law. So we'll have to talk to Christian about all of that. Being the dumb Americans that we are, he will fill us in, I'm sure. Here are your headlines on a Tuesday. Again, not only is it International Break Week, but it's Tuesday. Tuesday just doesn't bring the news. The games all happen over the weekend. We really don't have a whole lot of fallout, but there are some things happening. I mentioned this yesterday, and I'd like to come back to it. Spanish, and we'll talk to, to, to David about this, certainly. Spanish prosecutor has called for Barcelona leadership of Bartomeu and Rossell to be fined and imprisoned for their role in the in the uh, Neymar tax case. If you don't know, and we'll get we'll, we'll review all of this with David certainly. If you don't know about this, then this is the the issues of where the money went when Neymar was signed by Barcelona. And these two men, both former presidents of Barcelona have been called their actions have been called into question. And now a Spanish prosecutor is asking that they serve jail time for this for their role in the uh, in the uh, situation. This is from the AP. Spanish Spain's prosecutor on Monday requested the national court open a trial against Barcelona Football Club. Its current president Joseph Bartomeu. So there's uh, he's actually the current president and his predecessor Sandra Rossell for alleged tax invasion, including in the signing 
a Brazil striker Neymar. So it may have a larger scope, but certainly Neymar's at the center of this. In a statement, the prosecutor called for jail terms of more than two years for Bartomeu and more than seven years for Rossell, as well as the imposition of large fines. The prosecutor called for the club itself to be fined €22,202,750 for alleged false accounting in the tax returns of 2011, 2013, and 2014. If you ever got the sense that Barcelona and Real Madrid can do no wrong when it comes to the Spanish government, this is clearly clearly a sign that that's not true. Now, you may have some of that uh, regional rivalry of Barcelona clearly in uh, Catalonia and uh, the most of the government of Spain based in Madrid. I don't think that's pl- at play here. But again, we'll cover all of this with David Cartlett. should be a fascinating discussion. As well as discussing Diego uh, Costa missing out for Spain in their next two internationals. Uh, that news came out today. Also, England will be missing Daniel Sturridge. Maybe we'll talk about the squads for the respective countries with these two gentlemen coming up later in the show. Uh, Real Madrid has vowed legal action, and here you go, against the guy, and maybe a couple of other fans for hurling insults, against the guy who punched ba- Gareth Bale's car. He's already been stripped of his, his, his club membership, his season tickets, and now he's going to probably be prosecuted for punching a Bentley. Again, it sounds, it sounds like something should be a euphemism. I punched a Bentley. Uh, this I mentioned as well, English FA, to, uh, to tighten work permit rules starting in May. And again, looking for the Premier League to approve foreign player limits. I am, uh, I, I am, uh, I am unclear on whether or not this is legal. This is something we'll have to discuss as well. And, and, and this is not just a little thing. And, and then you get into the question of whether or not this is the right thing for England to do. England's having problems developing players of their own to help them go win games internationally. To help them go win World Cups, which may have passed them by anyway. But you want to delude yourself into thinking that the way we run our league, which again is the most profitable, most uh, rich, the, the richest league in the world, one of the most popular, if the if not the most popular, and they are going to lose their top European allocate or um, uh, coefficient spot to Germany more than likely, but still the most popular league in the world. And you're going to say that the reason we can't develop players is because of foreign players coming in. There may be something to that, but I don't think that these things are necessarily mutually exclusive. Potential buyers for the San Antonio Scorpions have been narrowed down by Citigroup, who was hired to find a buyer. Uh, this bears watching for a couple of reasons, but mainly because of the potential for San Antonio to become a candidate for MLS expansion. Uh, San Antonio has been a very well-run club, at least outwardly speaking. They have uh, ties to the local community that go much deeper uh, than some of these other NSL franchises. Obviously, when it's benefited Minnesota United FC to have a local owner who's put together a package that MLS likes. Can San Antonio find a buyer who's local and who's buying in, so to speak, to the program there and can get them on the short list of MLS t- uh, expansion teams? And, and with the, the, the situation that MLS is reviewing going past 24 teams, that are certainly opens up the possibility that San Antonio could be on that list. I was reading this morning about the New York Cosmos being very frustrated with the situation over the Belmont site where they proposed to build a $400 million stadium. Uh, this is from Newsday. More than two years after the New York Cosmos proposed a 25,000-seat soccer stadium, hotel, and retail complex at Belmont Park, inaction by state officials has prompted the team to consider alternative locations for the $400 million privately funded project. Uh, this goes on to say that not only are the Cosmos a, a little ticked off, some other bidders on the project are ticked off. If it's, an in, if it's an issue of having multiple bids that make a lot of sense and trying to figure out where the political will lies, 
two, it shouldn't take two years. And I'm not going to throw, well, I can't say this. I was going to say something about how maybe it benefits the decision makers to leave the process open. Uh, or when you, you know, when you get a little bit of here, a little bit there, somebody's coming around and, but I don't think the cosmos are involved in that. Certainly. And, and again, this has been frustrating for the cosmos, not just because they have dreams of building a stadium, but because it's keeping them from reaching their potential within the American soccer market. We're not, we want to talk about New York soccer wars. If this building gets, gets put up, if a stadium gets built for the cosmos somewhere within the general sphere of influence of New York City completely changes the the, uh, the landscape of the New York soccer wars. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we will grab David Cartledge from Spain. We'll talk about Liga. We'll talk about a Clásico, certainly. We'll talk about Spain's, Spain's national team as well. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning talking Spanish football with our friend David Cartledge uh, live from Spain. Hi, David. Hello there. How are you, sir, after El Clasico? Have you fully recovered? Yes, very well. Yes, yes. It was um, a few days recovery and it uh, feels better now. <laughs> now the dust has settled. Uh, the dust has settled with Barcelona ahead by four points in the league by virtue of that win. Uh, Luis Suarez with the winning goal. Certainly it was a contentious match, as you would expect. I think it was 11 yellow cards. Did it play out the, the way that you expected it to? And and look, I mean, it, Real Madrid came a little bit limping, and certainly we've been talking about crisis, which is a little ridiculous, but at the same time, it's it's all in uh, it's all in the perspective of where they sit in the league. What what did Real Madrid lose besides uh, be, uh, their one point uh, gap with Barcelona? Yeah, I think I mean games like this. They uh, if you, if you win or lose, you know it's a massive momentum boost for you. And Barcelona, they came into the game already extremely motivated, extremely confident, and um, I think it showed for. for Towards the end, but Real Madrid they they played their part as well, and, and you know I think I guess you could say in part the scoreline almost flattered Barcelona because Real Madrid played really well I think for the first half hour, like really really well the best they have in quite a while, um, and I think it's just been the same problems that, that we've discussed on the show. There's there's just a bit of a problem at the moment with the front three, and and at the other, on the other side the front three is obviously playing very well, playing well to a point. <laughs> Neymar missed some chances. Um, it, did you did you have any particular insight into how Barcelona took advantage of Real Madrid? And again, you got Lionel Messi, you've you've got Luis Suarez, you got Neymar. It's almost impossible to stop those three men together. Yeah, exactly. And I think the main I think the main factor I think uh, during the game was Barcelona. They started off with Lionel Messi on the right, and he was he was positioned he was positioned pretty deep, and he starts attacks from there, and he gets Barcelona moving. And it just wasn't working because Marcelo was pressing up the pitch um, quite quite a lot, and, and that's how Real Madrid got the initiative there through Marcelo, who I thought was was brilliant for uh, Real Madrid. And then in the second half, Luis Enrique moved him, moved Messi a little bit more centrally, 
And it gave Barcelona a bit more dominance in midfield. It allowed Rakitic to come into the game. It allowed people to, to play their normal games and, and things opened up a little bit more than Messi could create, but he could also get on the end of attacks. And it, it caused a lot of problems for Real Madrid. And they, they couldn't really deal with it from now once Messi came infield. In terms of the fallout from this match, again, I mean, the the gap now is four points. And, and, I, and I suppose that we're it's tempting to say, okay, that's it. It's done with. Barcelona, they may not, they may not walk to this title. There may be some hiccups along the way, but considering uh, the the brilliance of that team and and considering Real Madrid has been the team with more hiccups recently, it's hard. To, it, it's difficult to imagine Barcelona dropping the necessary points for Real Madrid to catch them. Is that the way you see it? Yeah, I mean, I can see Barcelona definitely dropping points, but at the same time, I can see Real Madrid dropping points as well, and. I mean, there's defeats that have happened this season that have come out of absolutely nowhere. The Celta Vigo defeat for Barcelona, the Malaga defeat for Barcelona. And and these games, we know, nobody saw those coming. So Real Madrid will be hoping one of those games, the, down the final stretch, Barcelona run into problems when maybe not anybody expected it from uh, from Luis Enrique's team. So Real Madrid, uh, that's the bad position to be in, though. You know, when you're when it's not when it's out of your hands, you're you're hoping Barcelona slip up. They 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 hope that this will happen again. So it's not the ideal position to be Real Madrid, but it's reality that's the position they are in. There was uh, there's obviously an incident after the game with Gareth, Gareth Bale and some fans who were unhappy yeah. with his performance. I, I know that one of the major uh, sports papers just declined to give him a rating. Uh, I suppose based on on what they saw as a poor performance. It, what's what's the situation there? I mean, is this is this unfair at all, or is is it really right for Gareth Bale to be taking this sort of abuse? Um, I think I've made the point before. I think the criticism of him is justified, but I, I certainly wouldn't condone punching his car window and attempting to punch it when the car window was actually open, and so it could have hit Bale. So I mean. You know that that is that is extreme, and and these guys are isolated. These guys don't represent Real Madrid fans. These guys um, are just—it's an isolated incident, but it's not nice. And then there's a poll in AS, um, the Madrid-based paper as well. I think like 63% saying they want Bale dropped. So it, at the moment, it's not very good reading for Bale. But I think a lot of the criticism is justified because he he isn't integrating, um, as as we have discussed on the show before. He just he's he isn't finding himself in the in the middle of the team right now. We saw Ben Zemmer's performance. He was he was outstanding, and he he gives his all in games, and he integrates with everybody around him. He looks, he anticipates everybody else's movements, and Bale is just a tad individualistic right now, and he he needs to iron that out of his game to succeed in Madrid. And and at this point, uh, you know there are some some rumors swirling that somebody could come in for for both him. Uh, you know Ronaldo's name is out there because Ronaldo is is Ronaldo. I know his buyout clause is is massive at this point. But would you would you be surprised to see anybody go this summer from uh, you know the, the the big names at Real Madrid? Uh, with Real Madrid, you just never know what's around the corner because James Rodriguez was not planned, and then he had that World Cup, and then they brought him in. Um, Lincoln actually to Hamas, I think his return will be interesting to see because I think there will have to be some movement in the lineup um, at some point for Real Madrid, and it probably is going to be Bale who's who's sacrificed or potentially Isco who's looking a little bit tired as opposed to out of form. Um, so in the summer, anybody could crop up. I know Michael Royce is standing new deal at Borussia Dortmund, but if Real Madrid put the money down, then then who knows. Uh, let's uh, let me let me turn back to Barcelona because it's not just about what's happening on the field with Barcelona. There's also this uh, 
the Spanish prosecutor has called, uh, come out and called for fines and jail time for the current president and former president, Sandra Rossell, in relation to Barcelona's tax uh, uh, taxes, but also, I guess, the center of this or somewhere involved is is the Neymar transfer. Can you boil this down for a, for a layman in terms of what exactly is being asked and whether or not this is appropriate considering what we're talking about? Yeah, this has been dragging on for, for far, far too long now. And Johan Cruyff said himself, like this is this is just getting crazy because we've got a situation where Barcelona's B team is about to get relegated. That should be a bigger issue, but it isn't because the focus is on this tax case. Basically, it just backdates to the, the Neymar transfer and, and, and when it went through and where certain amounts of money have gone and involving Sandro Rossell. Um, and uh, Jose Bartomeu, who's the current president of mm-hmm. Barcelona, who who might by all means be gone in the summer, so these guys might not be around anymore. It's been dragging on for a long, long time. Um, people are denying that they've taken this money, but it's I think it's pretty evident <laughs> that something has been going on. And it's a case now of of, of drawing a line to this. And, it, and finally, it looks like it is on the horizon. And I think it will be a case of hefty fines for Bartomeu, for Rosé, and uh, potentially a prison sentence, uh, but I can just I can definitely see heavy fines involved. How how big of a scandal is that? I mean, again, I mean, I don't know that this is making the type of international news. Maybe not that I don't know if I, if should be is the right word or the right phrase, David. But it certainly seems like this is a bigger deal than most people are making it out to be. If there actually is jail time on on the line, and what kind of impact would that have on Barcelona, on their image, on on everything that's been going on with that club? You know, it was a feel-good era for a while, and then all of that sort of seeped out. Where would they? Where will they be? Yeah, I mean, the, the image has been tarnished. No, no matter what happens now, no matter how heavy the the fines are, what might come into play, or the sentences, Barcelona's image has been has been tarnished through this. I mean, these guys who have been running the club, you know, they haven't run it in in, in the right way. There's been lots of things going on, and this is just. The, the icing on the cake, really, as we all know about the players coming into the club and the transfer ban. And this Neymar deal now, it just it's it's just contributing to the fact that Barcelona aren't um, all heavenly and sweet as as they like to still paint themselves out to be. Um, for you know, for from for many differing reasons now, and it's it's not ideal. And I think this will this will stick. I'm afraid for Barcelona. And and, and I. I... I don't know that any of this is involved, David, and, and, but, I, but I think I would be remiss if I didn't sort of ask if any of this, uh, any of the, um, the prosecutor's attempts to go after uh, the Barcelona leadership. I mean, look, if they committed the crime, they deserve to be punished for it. But I just want to make sure that we're not talking about something that's happening through the lens of football and through the lens of the rivalry, whether that's about Real Madrid and Barcelona or whether it's about a regional situation in Spain. Yeah, I mean, people are looking down on Barcelona for this. You know, Real Madrid will say, look, um, these guys, because, I mean, like I say, Barcelona always put off the model of having values, and then they have something like this happen. And again, you know, the rest of Spain looks on, the rest, you know, the, the teams, the, the play, people who support the, the 18 clubs around Spain, they in the top flight. And the other clubs as well, of course, the divisions go down, and they and these two teams are meant to be representing Spain at the highest level, and and, and you see things going on, the, the little back and forth in the press, which is a lot of mudslinging, and then obviously you have this tax issue, which is just uh, an embarrassment, and it's pretty disgraceful considering the situation that is in Spain at the moment now in terms of economically. Finally, there's a, there's a little bit of recovery starting to show in terms of economic crisis, but 
when these guys are taking money and denying the the real amount of the transfer fee, you know, it just it, it makes things really, really bad. Um, and I think it normally would be in a normal situation. I don't want to turn this into a sociological discussion, David, but there is something to be said for you know our bread and circuses um, when it comes to these things. Football is is certainly in that category, but at the same time, you have a again, you say you say you have an economically depressed country. And you have you have these teams who have, I won't say game the system, but certainly taken advantage of the system that the government has been on the hook for allowing them to sort of out, operate outside of the typical spheres for a while now. When does all of that stuff break? I mean, when does when do the Spanish people or even the the, the Catalan people say enough is enough? <laughs> That's interesting. There's just a culture in Spain. I think it's very, very positive. Things like this happen, and people aren't happy about it. And then the guys who uh, who are responsible for it, okay, they get their names to the press a little bit. They they talk down about. They say they're a disgrace. And then everybody moves on. There's not really any measures put in place to to make sure that this won't happen again. It could happen again. There could be another transfer with another club at some point. I'm not saying it will be Barcelona or Real Madrid. I'm not saying the precedent has been set by the clubs and it's just those two because other clubs in Spain are guilty of things as well. But in terms of this not happening again in the future, it, it, it could. Somebody might just want to be a bit more careful about the way they do it. And and I don't see any prevention in, in place personally. <laughs> just how Spain operates. Very interesting stuff there. Uh, let me turn now to something uh, that's better Atletico Madrid has uh, finally sealed the deal. You and I have talked about this. Diego, uh, Diego Simeone signed through the nineteen, uh, the two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty season. Uh, I imagine his buyout clause will be fairly significant. Um, is this a matter of? I mean, again, just sort of review here. Is this a matter of Simeone feeling like he can do some pretty amazing things at Atleti, or is it a, a matter of maybe the landscape not being as open as uh, as he would like for him to move on to a bigger and better job? Yeah, I think he had to look at it in two ways. The first way was, have I done all I can here? Have they hit a ceiling? Um, I'm not going to get any more money in, large sums of money to buy big players like a Hannes Rodriguez or a Marco Royce. So he, he looks at it like that. Or he can look at, do I do it all over again? Do I regenerate this team and, and become even more of a great and, and take Aleti further? Maybe get that Champions League. Maybe get another La Liga. Cement their players as so it's not we don't just talk about two clubs in Spain and he's obviously looked at the latter and he's, and he's seen that there's enough foundation to go with that and, and I agree with him because I think lots of good things could still happen at Letty I think there's a bit of money there so he could reinvest in the squad and get in the players that he'd ideally like he wants somebody like Cavani uh, from PSG and Karasawa from Monaco so if you could get those two I'm sure he's already told the board when signing that contract get me these players um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of projection there for Simeone. I think it's a, it's a good deal for everybody involved. Yeah, he obviously keeps uh, La Liga a little bit more interesting by staying there at Atleti. Yeah. Uh, we we know about you know his uh, his per- sense of personal style, uh, his sense of style on the field in terms of how his teams play. Is yeah. he is he the uh, I don't know is he the preeminent managerial star in Spain right now? Would that be fair? Um, yeah, I think so. I think absolutely. I mean, there is other challenges to the throne. There's somebody like Marcelino and Villarreal uh, and then there's Unai Emery at the Sevilla as well. But I think Simeone has has pushed uh, towards a boundary that, you know, pushed a boundary out the way that nobody had uh, even gotten close to before. When Emery was with Valencia, he, he failed in the Champions League. Marcelino has yet to really touch it with uh, 
Villarreal, we could see that next season. But no, no, Simeone is is unique for for Spanish football, and I think in in European football, world football as a whole, what he has done is is unprecedented. It's historic what he's done, to, especially in the current climate climate of your your PSGs, your Chelseas, your Man Citys. With, with no offense to them, who spend vast vast sums of money and had big investment, our lady haven't had that. Simeone's worked with their his traits, you know, hard work, determination, sacrifice, and and that is that they've been fundamental to getting them where they are now. Let me turn quickly to the to the Spanish national team before I let you go, David. Uh, sounds like Diego Costa is going to miss out. Speaking of uh, South Americans who end up in Spain, that's a terrible segue. Um, <laughs> what does Costa's absence mean for Spain? They've got games against uh, Ukraine and uh, the Netherlands. Am I not mistaken there? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, Dolboski is very, very annoyed by it. Diego Costa is obviously himself because... I think Jose Mourinho said, don't bother turning up to these, uh, let Spanish doctors look at you, you know, we don't want you to go, but Costa still turned up and he had his medical examinations this morning. Um, and they told him, okay, you're not, you, you can't play, you have to go back to Chelsea. So he's gone back to London. Um, and, and I think Dalboski wants to bring this system on with Diego Costa in it. And every single time there's an opportunity to, he, he can't, and because of different reasons with Diego Costa, but mainly injury. And, and it's troubling, I think, at the moment for Spain to progress as a team when that that focal point in attack isn't going to be there. So Del Bosque has to work with somebody else right now, I think, or work with other areas of the team until Diego Costa is ready. Uh, and they have again these two matches coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. These, uh, where where do you where does the qualifying campaign stand at at the moment? And and uh, what. What is Del Bosque going to try to get out of this particular window outside of some uh, some points? Yeah, I mean, Spain, uh, the main thing with Spain, it always is system. I think, above all, even over, even over results, um, it, the thing that matters most is that system and bringing that on, and that's why Costa is such a, a massive, massive um, loss, basically. Because, um, I mean, the, the Dutch game is just a friendly. The Ukraine right. one is obviously uh, right. a, bit more, a bit more serious. Thing. I think Spain have played for at the moment and they've won, won those games. So they just need to... Again, it's all about system. It's all about integrating these players and finding new ways. Look, we've, we know, of course, over the last year or so, several people like David Villa, Xavi, they, they're gradually dropping out, you know, so the new era is upon us. And um, so it's mainly about the system, just bringing this on. But mm-hmm. Spain will get by this campaign, no problem. Yeah, well, you look at... I mean, with, with Costa out, you look at the forwards, uh, Alvaro Morata, uh, Pedro, and Juanmi, who came in to replace Costa? Uh, you've got mm-hmm. what? You've got uh, Pedro's got uh, 16 international goals. The other two players together have zero. Uh, that's that's not an issue uh, at this point. Uh, having having a striker with um, you know the pedigree and, and the ability to go out and create his own goal. And um, I think with Spain, it's always been there's goals everywhere in the team. So they will look to the wings and they will look to the midfield, and, and chances will always be created. That's that, that's how they how they drive on and. I mean, lately, that there hasn't really... <laughs> David, are you with me? Yep. All right, uh, we, the, the connection dropped out there. Lately, I'm sorry, finish that sentence, I'll let you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, so the, there was a loss against... Um, <laughs> there's a loss against Slovakia, which obviously troubled them. 
Um, but no, no, no. I think they need to find goals now because I think that's another thing with Spain that they don't really score enough. Mm. Uh, right now, they are in second in Group C behind Slovakia. Twelve points for Slovakia, nine for for Spain. As you said, that loss to them. Da- uh, David Cartledge, follow him on Twitter. David J A C A. He's all over the place talking Spanish football. He has fantastic hair, and we uh, love having him on the show. David, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Right. Goodbye now. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's move to England. We'll talk to Christian Hanez. But the Premier League weekend, a little England national team and maybe some FA attempts to get those English players on a different level. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dish World's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dish World is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Syria, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dish World. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dishworld. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning talking English football. It's the home of football, don't you know? Christian Hanez is on the line with us, live from uh, jolly old England. Uh, Christian, how are you? I'm I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm well. Um, let's uh, let's talk a little Premier League uh, before we get into some bigger issues in the English game. We'll talk about these results. All four of the top teams win this weekend and maintain their places. It wasn't easy for everybody. But I think the marquee matchup of, of the weekend was Manchester United beating Liverpool. Um, you know, is this is this more about United and, and them kind of finding their feet under uh, under uh, Van Gaal, or do you put this on Liverpool? Because again, Steven Gerrard comes on, and 38 seconds later, he's sent off. I think you have to put it on Liverpool for a significant portion of, of why this game went away. You know, it's it's difficult because I can I can empathise to a degree with Steven Gerrard. He thought he was going to bring blood and thunder to the game and a, and a physicality in midfield, kind of the old-fashioned mentality of, you know, let them know you're there with a nice few strong tackles in the opening moments. But he has completely lost his head in that moment. He wasn't tackled or, or touched and he stamped on, on Ander Herrera for no real reason. And to a degree, he sullied kind of his memory in relation to that fixture, I think. And it's unfortunate for Gerard because, say, 18 months ago, so much was promised. He was close to a league title. He was going to go out on, on high at Liverpool. Whereas now, he's ever so slightly going a little bit meekly into the distance to the Los Angeles Galaxy, which I think is a shame for, for what has essentially been a one-club man in England and someone who's given so much to, to one team that, that clearly means so much to him. Yeah, you don't you you hate to see a legend like Gerard sort of uh, flame out rather than step aside with dignity and I, I, you know, there's some season left, and he obviously still has an opportunity to redeem himself. But the question now for Brendan Rodgers is how much of a role is Steven Gerrard going to play? 
in the rest of Liverpool's season? I don't think he's going to play much of a role at all. I mean, he's going to be missing for, I think, three games now, which is, is going to ruin him out for a significant portion of what's left. And then also, it, it's time to, to move forward with the next era. It, it, the same happened with Jamie Carragher. The same has happened at Manchester United with the four goals and Ryan Giggs. Time stops for, for no man, and that's no different at Liverpool. And now they have to transition. I think they've got a player in Jordan Henderson who eventually can grow into take the responsibility, albeit with a, a slightly different style of play, I think with different qualities, um, but someone that can, can take that responsibility and that onus from things. And, and I think be actually quite a successful captain for Liverpool in the long run. I, I don't think that anybody um, thinks that Jordan Henderson is not capable of it. But again, it's it's sort of about letting go of the past with Steven Gerrard. And I wonder briefly here, just to make it a selfish point for a second, Christian, should Galaxy fans be worried about what they're going to get out of Steven Gerrard? Or is he? I, look, I, obviously the MLS is MLS is a very different quality, but it, it's a matter of I don't know industry. Is he going to be as good as he's been before? <laughs> No, I, I think Steven Gerrard will always pick up the tab when they go for dinner, um, first and foremost. I think, secondly, he'll bring a fantastic quality to that midfield, a, a quality that is a boost on the players like Marcelo Salva that have, have departed to Colorado. You, you can't really rule your judgment just on one incident. This was a moment where Gerrard was, was clearly heated, was clearly invested in the emotion of the occasion rather than anything else, and he let that get to him. I don't think that that's going to happen in Los Angeles. I think he's going to be a lot more calm, a lot more composed. And actually, I think you might see a player very similar to David Beckham. I know it seems like a lame comparison to make because they're both slightly veteran English midfielders that are moving to the United States. But for me, they offer similar things. I think the range of passing, Mm -hmm. that kind of threat from distance, those set pieces. I think you're going to see a lot of those same assets in Steven Gerrard. And in that sense, I think it almost makes complete sense for the Los Angeles Galaxy to bring in a player like Gerrard, having lost Beckham only fairly yeah, I can't wait for Steven Jarrett to be hit, hitting 60-yard switches uh, for the Galaxy. That should be good. Uh, looking around the rest of, of the Premier League a bit, Christian, um, obviously the team at top, on the top of the table is Chelsea. They beat Hull City 3-2 um, there in Hull, but it's obviously 3-2 is not the way that you would expect things to go for Chelsea. No, it's, it's, it's not at all. I, I thought they caused a lot of their own problems. Steve, I think so I was, was very honest in admitting that it was his mistake that let hold back into the game. But again, it's that resilience from Chelsea. It's, it's also that depth, the ability to bring a striker of Lloyd Remy's quality on, someone that at Newcastle was a leading striker and was essentially the hub of, of their central uh, attacking outlet. And, and here is a substitute. I think that itself indicates the kind of depth that we're looking at with this team that I think will ultimately be the Premier League champions. I think you have to remember as well is, is that Mourinho is very resilient as a manager. He's not someone that loses very easily. The fact that he's out of the, the Champions League at such an early stage this year is a shock because this is the first time since 2009 he's been in this position. Mm. That itself, again, indicates just how strong he is at closing situations out and essentially getting the hard results because there are a lot of easy results when you're a team like Chelsea, but it's those difficult ones, the games like Hull, where maybe you aren't playing your best football and you're having these little moments of uh, uncertainty on the ball and you're making mistakes that normally you wouldn't make it's being able to recover from them and say okay let's calm ourselves and get that composure back and see the game out you know, without the uh, distraction of the champions now for Chelsea and obviously they didn't want to fall out of that competition but because they did now it's all about the league from here on out and that's bad, probably bad news for Manchester City who also doesn't have the Champions League to worry about but the gap is six points and Chelsea has a game in hand uh, I suppose that you know it would be rather simple to say that the intrigue is now 
at uh, between second and third with Manchester City and Arsenal only separated by a point. And then, obviously, Manchester United can chase them down as well. Uh, regardless of the order, and, and we may all think that Chelsea's going to win, but regardless of the order, do you expect these four teams at the top to be the four teams we see there, or can Liverpool get back in this? I think because of Sunday's result, I think Liverpool will just fall now. I think that that result has taken a lot of steam and momentum away from the side that I, I think it has called back a, an amazing uh, points deficit for Manchester United since Boxing Day. I think it was 10 points at Boxing Day between the two. It was only two points going into it a few weeks ago. And for me, that, that's why it's going to stay the way it is. I think it would be remiss or wrong of me to even suggest that the the title race is over because while I do think Chelsea win we've seen these shocks in the final weeks we've seen big shocks occur and it's, it's kind of the nature of the Premier League is that it surprises you when you least expect it um, but I think yeah you're, you're not going to see a huge degree of change in the four that sit up there right now just because they've finally got that momentum going the majority of them uh, sp- uh, the, speaking of the, the the Premier League, David, I'm going to use, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Christian, I'm going to use my, I'm going to use this this news, I suppose, is what I'll call it, to bridge us to a discussion about English football uh, and the development of younger players. David Moyes is in the press saying that he thinks that the Premier League is a, it's the worst he's ever seen it, or something to that effect. Uh, obviously, <laughs> look, obviously, you know, not being in the league anymore. He can sort of lob these bombs uh, from Spain, and, and I, I don't know. And what do you make of David Moyes and his comments about the Premier League's quality at this current moment? I think yes, there's, there's possibly a degree of uh, bitterness in there in terms of the way his own Premier League career came to an end for, for the time being. I think also I see why he's saying that because it seems like at times there's not as much competition as there could be. That teams have faltered, but in actuality. There's everybody beating everybody, and and really there's no consistency. In, and again, it's a, it's a league founded on athleticism in many instances. And then you couple that with the European situation, with no English teams prospering. It does seem on a superficial level that the English Premier League is the worst it's ever been. I'm not sure if I fully concur with, with that statement. Though. I think that, again, these, these things go in cycles. And, and to hell it is the worst it's ever been. I think to get some of the... The, the early years, some of the, the founding years of the Premier League, when it was still trying to find its feet before the kind of foreign influence that we did have that raised the technical standard, that raised the, the overall ability. Um, I think that, that David Moss is in a good position to speak, but I'm just not sure if I, I fully concur with him on that one. Uh, and uh, the FA chairman, Greg Dyke, is in the news for announcing a plan to restrict non-EU players in the league to restrict the foreign influence of the league. I think it's pretty clear that you know, whatever the specifics are of this, Christian, the idea is to promote more English players within the Premier League and with English football in general. Um, is, this, is this the answer? Is the answer to try to limit outside influence in English football, or is there something else going on here? No, the answer is never to limit your competition. It doesn't matter if you're a footballer or a journalist or a butcher, you, you should never try to limit your competition. You're never going to get better at your profession or your trade if you limit those around you. If anything, the competition, in theory, should excel you. I think what Greg Dyke and the people around him have to do is actually look a little bit deeper, look a little bit further down those age groups and say, how many opportunities are we giving to young children? How many avenues are we giving for them to learn from good teachers? I think that's important as well. We're starting to see more and more coaches Pop up. I'm certainly seeing them on Twitter, more informed coaches who, who want to teach kids in the right way, 
not necessarily tactically, but just without a pressure, without an onus on winning, without the idea of it having to be life and death, that you can have fun playing football at a young age and learn the game, and learn the game that you want to play. And I think that's very important. When you start to, to limit the, the number of uh, foreign players that come in, all you're realistically going to do there is, is just keep the talent pool at the same level because they're not going to get better. You're looking at the symptoms and not the problem in that instance. And I think it's, it's certainly an issue, the, the number of foreign players that come in, to a degree. I've spoken to, to a young player in the past who, who said, why is, there, why is there any impetus for the club to choose me when I'm on a few hundred pounds a week when there's a guy who's maybe as good as me, if not a, a shade better, on a few thousand? You're going to invest more in that higher asset that you've you paid significant money for. So yes, there's, there's a degree of that. But I think to just say, oh, if we limit the number of foreigners, we're going to fix this problem no, with, without any consequence, is it, a little bit reductionist. You have to remember that, again, foreign players have brought a lot of good things to this football league in this country in general. The likes of Ruth Hullett back in the 90s, all the way through. You speak to any Premier League fan, I bet they've got a foreign player who is also their favourite player of that club in some instance, or a player that they've enjoyed watching. So we have to be welcoming of, of other football cultures and remember that actually we can learn things from these people and, and that it's not their fault that English players aren't thriving at the moment. It's also the cost as well. We see the number of players on, on Twitter who say, well, if you buy player X from Germany, player Y from England is twice the price. So we have to be wary of that as well in terms of making sure that we're not overvaluing our players and making it so they can't go abroad and sample new cultures. It's, it's a lot of different issues. I don't think it's simply a case of limiting foreigners. Well, I think it's important to point out, and I, and I, I mentioned this at the top of the show, Christian, I needed some clarification on this. They're not able to restrict, not, they're not able to restrict EU players, are they, uh, legally speaking? No, there, there's, uh, there's rules in place that you, you can't limit the the, the freedom movement of European workers um, for obvious reasons. So, again, it, it becomes a point where do you start to limit the number of non-EU players then? I think if we look across Europe at leagues that do that already, that say you must have a certain quota of domestic players, their leagues are struggling. Their leagues are not as good contextually in Europe as, as those around them. And so, again, I think it, it's very easy to beat the, the foreign players with this stick and say that it's their fault and it's this high immigration level that, that's caused everything. But in actuality, it's not. It's a lot of other problems that have actually granted these opportunities to foreign players to come in and take them. So it's, it's not as simple as saying that they're the issue. Well, clearly, look, clearly when you, uh, when you put all of the money or most of the money in, in just a few clubs' hands, relatively speaking, that's going to create a situation where um, they're able to go out, scout the world, bring in the foreign players. Ultimately, those players... You know, with good coaching, which is also well paid for, and, and everything else, sort of come to dominate this, the discussion. So, what you're telling me is that you think this is a grassroots problem, and 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 the FA is missing the point. What what do they need to do? I think it's multifaceted. As, as I touched on there, there, there's a pricing issue. The fact that when you look to buy an English player, he's significantly more than his foreign counterpart, even though he's not exponentially better than him. That's an issue. The fact that players in England demand more financially is an issue. Uh, the fact that they're not willing to go abroad and try new cultures. We see it's, mm. it's kind of moving it slightly to Wales, but still Great Britain. Gareth Bale's having issues in, in Real Madrid in terms of settling and acclimatising because historically British players haven't travelled well in recent years. You then look at the fact that, as I said, grassroots 
I look at growing up myself and those around me and even some kids now, they're not getting the opportunities. They're not being coached by the right people. You look at Iceland, for example, a country that's minuscule in terms of population compared to England, yet it's able to rear a fairly successful national team because it put that infrastructure in there. Because in mm-hmm. 2000, it started to put the pitches in. It started to coach kids from a younger age. It started to have more coaches, better coaches. It's essentially the, the, the nurture that's important here. And I think that's what we're forgetting is that, yes, there's certainly a, a number of great coaches out there now, but there hasn't been for a number of years. And so that's why we're seeing it reflected in the generation that are coming through. Perhaps and hopefully thinking optimistically that with all these good coaches coming through, the next generation, the generation after that, will start to seem more positive. But again, I think this idea of, well, if we limit foreign players, we'll improve English players by proxy. It's, it's too reductionist. It's not going to work that way. You're only going to limit your competition. If anything, you want to raise these English players so even the, the average, the standard bearer, is better than the foreign option the Premier League clubs can go for so that they want to bring these players. It's, it's good to put incentives for teams to use English players and players reared from their academy. But I think, again, it, it has to be about raising their talent level mm-hmm. as much as limiting the opportunities for others to come in and take their spots. You know, I think sometimes there's a, um, and certainly this is the phenomenon that works that works here or is in place here, Christian, where the, those in charge of trying to fix problems ultimately aren't aren't patient enough to see things out. Do you see any issues with the English FA when it comes to trying to improve the quality of young English players and maybe not waiting to see if something's working before t- changing course or being drastic? I think he's touched on it there. The patience is a massive issue. We look at Southampton at the minute, they're the club that are essentially the one we all look at with, with adoring eyes at the minute. They've done it fantastically. They've raised players. There was a, a coach, I think, in, in 2010 of six academy players stood on the side of the pitch as they kind of herald the start of this five-year plan. If I believe rightly, five of them are still at the club and four of them have made first-team debuts and, and made significant impact. Luke Shaw was in there. James Ward-Prowse was in there as well. And so it's that patience. It's that idea that actually Anything good realistically takes time. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be aware of that and you have to value the process almost. It, it applies to a lot of things. If you're training as a player, as an individual, it's about the process. It's about taking it slowly. I spoke to, to Steve Clark at the Columbus School about that and he said it's about valuing the process and knowing that you have to take steps to get better. You're not just going to get better. And it's the same with development of youth. You look at Dortmund, again, another team that we've been very uh, high on and excited on. They took time. They took patience. I think if you look historically at any club that's had a successful youth team, it, it wasn't reared overnight. It takes time. It takes learning. It's trial and error to a slight degree. But you have to give it patience because you're influencing people. And people take time to be influenced. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like... It's, it's not something you can just switch on and off. It's essentially like growing a garden. You have to water it and, and stick with it slightly and wait on it and, and let it grow. Christian, do you have any thoughts here before I let you go on, on the England squad coming up? I, I think it's an exciting squad. It's a shame that, that Daniel Sturridge is missing. Again, I think this is an opportunity where they have to, to give young players a, a chance to shine because with all due respect to Lithuania, they're not looking to do anything significant. They only started attempting to qualify for this competition in '96, and they haven't been successful in every single attempt. So they're not a great shape in, in European football. Equally, the group itself, I don't think, is, is going to cause England any significant problems. So now it's about preparing those players 
for that next tournament, for that tournament in France in 2016, and saying, okay, how many of these guys have experience of a, a tournament of an international stage, first and foremost? How many do we need to get in there? Because I think certainly it's a different beast. There's a different mentality to playing a tournament. To playing international football in general, it's a totally different beast to Premier League football and domestic football. And I think they need to be aware of that. And they start to need to... And they now need to understand how they want to play. What do they want to do with things? How do they want to line up? What players do they want in, in and around that pool? Because I think we can all agree with any national team, it's really a bubble of players. Unless someone has some startling form that kind of separates them from the rest. There's a recognised pool, I would say, of about 30, maybe a push 35 players that can be in that squad at any one time. And it's about lining up who you want in there and how you want them to play and what you want them to do. Because, again, much like this, the, the young player situation it takes time. You have to rear something and be, be patient with it and build something that's, that's actually full of something with an ideology to it and not just rushed overnight. Christian Inej from England talking about English football, obviously a state of the game there and the Premier League. Christian, appreciate your time and hopefully we'll have you back soon. Always a pleasure, man. Look forward to speaking to you soon. There you go. Let's take a break when we come back. Open up the phone lines, 347-756-6276, or get us on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. We'll be right back. The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dishworld's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dishworld is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dish World. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dish World. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are on a Tuesday with phone lines wide open, 347-756-6276. How are you feeling about your MLS weekend with all of those international absences? Now, it could be worse. Some of these guys you might have expected to be missing aren't missing. Maybe that's a silver lining, but still, it's like... You know, that's not, that's like raining a little bit instead of a lot. I'm still getting wet. Still terrible out there. Still don't want to be outside. And MLS is going to go ahead and play through this. And it happens every time now. We we are still not to the point where MLS has figured out how to get around these dates. They go ahead and schedule through them. And every single time, I've got to see screed after screed after screed or tweet after tweet after tweet about MLS screws it up. MLS, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Orlando is learning on the job here. They're learning again that MLS is weird, and they're going to be missing a bunch of players, not only through injury, but through international absences coming up this weekend. And I've seen some things out of Orlando. 
They let they learned about bad officiating last weekend. Now they're going to learn about international absences absences during a FIFA window when MLS is going to play through. Is MLS the only league that plays through the break? No, it's not. But I think there is a lot to be said for the credibility of the league being beat around a little bit when they go ahead and do this. When you want to see the best players on the field, when you look at these marquee matchups, when you say, hey, guys, I'm really looking forward to game X, and then you realize, not going to have that player, not going to have that star, not going to have that guy. Damn. Where's the fun in that? So he pointed out that one of the nationally televised games this weekend, this coming weekend, involves Real Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake in Toronto on Sunday. And you're going to be missing rocks of guys. No Josie Altador, no Michael Bradley. I don't think Jovinko got called up, so that's good, I guess. You're obviously missing, not only are you missing senior starters on the other side for the U.S. in terms of RSL, you're missing Luis Gill, who's been called up to the U23s. You're missing Alvaro Sabarillo, who's been called up by, by Costa Rica. And that's just one example. And I don't even have the list. Somebody's got the international absence list. So who's who of MLS? Good thing David Villa retired from the Spanish national team. With Costa out, maybe he'd get called up, and then NYCFC wouldn't have him this weekend. Just not, it can't, it can't be good to be missing that many guys. 58 players called in for an international duty. All will miss league matches because MLS scheduled a full slate of games during a FIFA period. For everything that, everything good that happens with MLS, we get a, we get a something bad. Oh, Minnesota's gonna get a team. The people of Minnesota are excited. Minnesota United FC is a well-run club. They have an amazing badge. They got good ownership. That's great. That's fantastic. Oh, you're going to play through an international break? Why? What? Imagine newer fans have bought tickets to games this weekend, says Trevor. That's right. You're you're a league that's growing. You're a league that's saying, we want new fans. We're we're creating new fans every day. Every day we're creating new fans. Man, did you see how better the TV ratings are? Look, we signed this guy, and now people are paying attention. Our season ticket sales went up by 25%. Woo! And then those new fans show up to a game this weekend expecting to see the best their MLS team has to offer. And this is like, you know, it's like going on. I've never been to a Broadway play, but I imagine it's like going to a Broadway play and instead of the A-list celebrity star, you get the understudy nobody's ever heard of. Tonight, the role of <laughs> Josie Altador will be played by... <laughs> who, who is who is the backup... <laughs> Who's the backup striker? Who's going to be playing in in Toronto? I don't even. I Luke Moore. Okay, he's not. He's not terrible. He's not Josie Altador. Couple of thoughts on Twitter. Garrett Weiss says Orlando City is losing seven players. 
Ryan is actually looking at this differently. If only Philly were playing a team devastated by call-ups, but instead, Chicago. <laughs> okay. Still irks me, this is from Vincent Toronto, still irks me that the U.S. can get Bradley and Altador, but Canada can't get Osorio from Toronto FC. It, did that Was that re- refused? I don't know how that, that works. You can't refuse a call. I mean, club can't keep a player. If he doesn't want to go, the club is, is, is advocating for Osorio to stay, and he chooses to stay. That's on him. But that does suck. 347-756-6276. Nobody wants to jump in on this. All right, jump in on something else here. You guys love to talk about young players, development, developing young players, how the U.S. does it. You want to talk about super wonky nerd developmental stuff? My friend Charlie Bohm, my friend Char- uh, Travis Clark from Top Tour Soccer, Charlie Bohm obviously was on the show yesterday. They've been talking on Twitter about like new development academy additions for U.S. soccer and something about Baltimore's super, cl- I, I don't know, a bunch of Cubs in Baltimore being slam together to create a super club that's some some nerdy stuff i love those guys i'm glad that they're paying attention because i don't have to and i don't have to but it's not exactly <laughs> it's actually fun talk about that Go, uh, colin says you can look at the glass half full more international call-ups mean that younger players get some more first team minutes you could look at it that way but that's not how you sell your league can Tommy Thompson get a look with the international? Does, do San, does San Jose have an international call-ups? I know Chris Wondolowski didn't make the team. Kind of wish he would have. Then Tommy Thompson might get a chance. Guillermo's on the line. What's up? Hey, good morning. Hey, listen, I tweeted at you uh, during the week about the Yardbook call-up. It was huge in the Mexican media, man. They they took Herrera's uh, comment that there was nine other players that were at least as good, if not better. They took that to heart. They, they really gave it to him. And then, of course, Jarberg comes out and allows five goals to prove his point. So what do you think? <laughs> um, well, I look, uh, he's, he's, I don't know if he's one for the future. What is he, 25 years old, Guillermo? I, I, I don't know that he's one for the future. I don't know that he's really going to jump over anybody that's in the pecking order right now. I still think Bill Hamid is the third guy on the depth chart. And, and Nick Romando is obviously a great fill-in guy when you need him. I, I don't know that this is a big deal. Either way, I mean, I don't even look at it as only one one. We got one over on Mexico because as even if Herrera is is using high, uh, you know hyperbole when he talks about ten, uh, nine better guys, you know there is a. It's not like he's calling up Yarbrough yesterday. It's not like he he's uh, you know it's not like he was already calling up Yarbrough. So I don't I don't really see this as a big deal, Guillermo. Cool. Well, the last, one last thing, uh, Kachina, the coach for uh, Santos in Mexico, also talking about how the the league is predisposed to to rule against foreigners, that there's some xenophobia at the higher ranks. Clearly, there's not a lot of transparency. I, have you seen anything like that? I, I, it, I don't know. It, it seems like it's developing lately. You're talking about where? Here or there? I'm sorry, in I missed Mexico, it. In, in, in Mexico. Mexico. In Mexico. That I, I foreign, know. I mean, foreign, uh, coaches, foreign players get the back call, and that there's a, there's a, a concerted effort to make sure that the uh, Mexicans get, get a little bit of a, uh, of a know, break from the I may, I may have to ask Eric Gomez, Tom Marshall, whether they believe that that's something that's happening. I mean, look, you've got, as you said, you've got foreign managers. You've obviously got some pretty high-profile foreign players, and they've made that league better. But there, you know, there are, there are, there's obviously the, the some elements of Mexican culture that sometimes don't fully accept those those players. 
I don't know that that's fair to, to paint with a broad brush. Guillermo, thanks for the call, man. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about something I don't understand. 704, you're on the air. How you doing, Jason? This is Jay from Charlotte. What's going on, Jay? Not too much. I, I wanted a couple things real quick. I just wanted to talk about uh, the uh, Premier, well, what they're going to try to do with the Premier League, which is truly the most retarded thing <laughs> I have ever seen or you, wait, 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 hold even on. heard done. <laughs> okay, first of all, um, you, are you talking about the foreign player limits, that kind of thing? Yes, yes. The okay. foreign play- This, I guess, for me, I, I understand where they're coming from, and I understand, I guess, in theory, what they're, they're trying to do. But this would be like the NBA saying no foreign, like we're going to limit the amount of foreign players that can come out so that high schoolers in the NBA or high schoolers in this country playing basketball or college well, players I mean, can make it to the NBA. That's obviously a direct that's, comparison, but they're, 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 the foreign influence in the NBA is a trickle compared to what it is in, in world in world soccer. But one thing I'll say, Jay, uh, the one thing but, I'll say, Jay, is that protectionist policies rarely benefit the home country in terms of the quality, and that's what Christian was exactly. saying. When you when you put in protectionist policies, you're actually creating a situation where you have less incentive to get better rather than more incentive to get to get better because the competition is. Less. Which is why I feel this was leads me. Well, I have one more comment after this, real quick, if I have the time. Go. But this is why it leads me to MLS having various. This is why I don't like the MLS. Ha- well, I hate. Well, I said the MLS. Anyway, when MLS has kind of where we're forced to kind of, you know, bring American players up. I know the league is meant for that. But in my, this is just my feeling. If you're good enough, then if the better players are coming in, getting those paychecks, then you need to work harder to push them out. Okay. There shouldn't be room made for you okay. just because well, you're an American you or you're English. Now, I understand people will say, well, then, you know, where are they going to play? I get that, but there's a part of me that's like, Okay. That's anti-American if you're just going to give sure. and them sure. a spot. You're talking about the, the farthest extreme being a completely open system with no limits. Now, I don't... Well, not no limits, but just... May I, I'm just saying not with any limits because I think you can't just have no Americans on the team. But I think the thought that we have to have a hot, you know, a certain set number. My thing is, if you have five, six, seven, whatever, however many you feel you need, that's fine. But if you can't push out an Argentinian or a Colombian or well, a German for your job, I shouldn't not allow them okay. the opportunity uh, to uh, play for right. me right. just because of that. I think I, I think I understand what you're saying. Thanks for, thanks for the call, Jay. There's a couple of things at work here. There's the element that you want Americans in the team because it's American League and you're trying to appeal to American fans for the most part. Um, you know, you don't normally want to pander, but this is a country, you know, we are, we are all, all Americans here when we go out to the soccer stadium. So you want to see your country represented, clearly. The, the, the other element is, and, and look, MLS may not be, may not be responsible for creating players for the U.S. national team, but that is sort of a byproduct of what they do, and that benefits the league in, in, in reverse. So they want to create American talent that can go on and play in a World Cup to make MLS look better. So that, that's another element. Then you have the money. Foreign players typically cost more. So if a coach brings in or a general manager brings in a foreign player, there's more pressure to play a guy who's on $250,000 than there is a guy on a guy who's making seventy five. And while you would hope that talent wins out every every time, you can't get those biases out of the system completely. Vince in Toronto, what's up? Hey, Jason, how's it going? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what's happening, man? Um, you know, uh, 
I want to talk some Canadian soccer with you, but, but I suppose you know this is this issue is more pressing and is very interesting. Um, it, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? Uh, do you give you know do you are these you know domestic players are they be, being given the opportunity to to win a spot from you know a quote unquote foreign import? Um, is Luis Gill being given proper a proper opportunity to, to win his job from Javier Morales? Is you know are are these English players being given a shot at a Chelsea or at a Manchester City, um, or are they simply just being pushed out you know to the wayside because um, of you know the, the ability to just buy it, to buy these players? Um, and then it's 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 very much the mentality of today's world, Jason, where you know give me give me right now, uh, I'd rather get something for ten million that I can use right away instead of you know taking the time to develop a player who could potentially be better. Um, but you know, it's all about that success right now, not that success. You know, three, four, five years down the road. Yeah, uh, it's breaking news, by the way. Just saw this on Twitter. I, I have to confirm this, but it says uh, Clint Dempsey has suffered a. Oh, yep, Stephen Goff has got it, so I'll trust it there. Uh, Clint Dempsey has a hamstring injury and will miss both of the friendlies coming up. Sideline for two to three weeks. That's bad news for Seattle as well. Just to, to drop that in there, Vince. Um, if you want to turn this back to Canada, I'm happy to do so because I think there's there's certainly a conversation to be had about how, how does Canadian soccer develop Canadian players when you've got professional teams who, look, they want to go out and win games, and, and winning games will get more fans in the door. And they do have, you have to, you know, how much responsibility do they have to Canadian players, Vince? And, and I know our friend Dwayne likes to, to bitch about this all the time on Twitter, especially when it comes to the Vancouver because they don't play Canadian players. How do you how do you view that situation, especially when it comes to the top level in Canada? Um, it's 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 messed up currently for a lot of reasons. You, know, you guys are complaining right now about Julian Green getting a call up when he hasn't earned it um, to the to the senior team. Um, you know, Floro's ignoring the NASL, and you know the NASL could be argued to be doing a lot right now for Canadian players. And this is you know this is a very big talking point up here. Does he simply not care about the league? Does he not believe in the league? Um, and instead, uh, Samari Kugby, Vancouver's Canadian right back, or left back, who recently took over the starting job from Jordan Harvey, he's hurt, and he got hurt in the Orlando game in, in a really bad collision with Donovan Ricketts. Um, instead of picking up an NASL guy to replace him on the roster, Floral called up a, a USL player um, in, a, in, a young, in a young speedy winger named Tyler Pasher, who plays for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. And this, that pissed off a lot of people. Uh, and there, there have been some NASL players who have tweeted out, you know, it's kind of frustrating being passed over when we're full professionals, but you're calling up guys from League One Ontario uh, who have yet to play professional minutes. Um, and bringing your point back to, you know, TFC, Vancouver, Montreal, and, and what they're doing, um, Jonathan Osorio is currently the only member, only Canadian member of the Toronto FC roster. All the other Canadians have been loaned down to Toronto FC too. And, you know, in Toronto FC2, you know, their first game they lost, but it was a really fun game. Uh, that's kind of what the plan is, I suppose. There aren't any good enough Canadians currently. Uh, Vancouver has, you know, Tiber and Atacugby, and everybody else probably will be down there. Montreal has Bernier, who's 35 anyways, and then a couple, a couple of youngsters who will be here and there with the 18. But it really feels like it's a youth movement currently with Canada. There aren't really that many or any actually, you know, middle-aged, uh, mid-20s, late-20 Canadian players currently on these MLS teams. It's all really young guys who are with an eye to the future. And 
Um, I suppose that's fine for now. I mean, if these guys are doing really well in USL, but they're not given the opportunity on the main team, then perhaps we can uh, go further into it. But for now, I, I like what's happening, and I have no problem with it. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens then. But, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite an interesting time right now. It, it is. Uh, all over the place. As, as countries look to try to make uh, make their programs better and scramble around, I, fe- I, I just feel like, and this goes for England, this goes for the United States, certainly goes for Canada. I feel like sometimes these are just, you know, it's like a guy with a blindfold, like trying to, to pick out something off of a table filled with with various tools. They don't know which tool, they, they, what I'm trying to feel for the right thing. I don't know what I'm reaching for. And it's, it's, it's frustrating to watch because we are all, as you said, we're all impatient here. We want something now. We want something done now. We want positive results and, and we want positive, we want proof that these things are working in the short term when that's just, sometimes it's not possible. And then when it is possible, we're either, we're either too impatient to, to see the benefits or we're advocating for some other change because somebody else has done something else somewhere else that was, proven to be quote-unquote better yeah you know tommy thompson is the perfect example jason every week when san jose plays you see on twitter you know all the all, all the all the big youth guys you know getting angry at kinnear why isn't tommy thompson playing you know choo choo the hype train and everything um tommy thompson if you watched him during the u20 uh um CONCACAF championships he was a lot of fun to watch but there was also a lot of problems with his game especially when it came to delivering that final pass or whatever. And Dom Kinnear, I, I trust him. He's Dom Kinnear. He's, he's, you know, he's one of the most successful coaches in MLS history. I'd expect him to know why he's not playing uh, t- uh, Tommy Thompson. And one of that reason is perhaps in training, t- uh, he might look at Thompson still being too much sizzle and not enough steak, right? You want a guy to be able to feed Wondolowski those killer balls. Uh, and perhaps a Perez Garcia is a better option right now than you know, the 19-year-old Tommy Thompson who still has a lot to work on his game, even though he is really exciting to watch. And that's the thing, right? He's exciting. And the U.S. always wants that exciting player to be able to watch, you know, do the stepovers, uh, the nutmegs, you know, the Rabonas and everything, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to let you go, Vince. You got anything else? Uh, no, Jason, just, you know, uh, you know, uh, sucks on that Dempsey stuff. Uh, you know, I wonder who they call up. I, I, I hope it's not Akindele, but he, does, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't ever replace these guys. He never does. He never replaces these guys. I, I, and I'll see. I'll, I don't know. Thanks for the call, Vince. Appreciate it, man. Right, the last thing I want to mention here before I let you guys go, this is um, this is an interesting time in terms of, of the, again, the growth of Major League Soccer, the number of expansion teams coming in. We've got Orlando as a successful debut. NYCFC certainly want to put them on a successful debut with the caveat being they need a stadium down the line. Um, you've got... Sacramento blowing up as they attempt to get into MLS. San Antonio looking for new ownership and whether or not that's going to be MLS is going to be on the table is interesting, especially in light of in, of Minnesota United FC's bid uh, uh, proving to be successful to get in with that press conference coming tomorrow. And we'll be on top of that on Thursday for you guys. Uh, and the reason I bring this up is because we, we've talked to Bill Peterson on this show and I asked him specifically, this is even before Minnesota United was taken out what what damage it does 10 asl to have their some of their best markets some of their top teams be pulled up into mls uh he he sort of downplayed it a bit but you have to imagine that this is a that is doing damage to nasl and yet i've seen plenty of people say oh nasl is strong okay i i i guess i'm going to have to take that at face value i know traffic sports is heavily invested in nasl and has been for a while now 
I don't know what that means for the health of the league long term. I don't know how you replace Minnesota United FC, how you replace if San Antonio goes, how you replace Atlanta if they can't <clears throat> if they can't exist with uh, an MLS team down the road. And I know they've been on hiatus in recent years, and it hasn't been great in Atlanta. You have the Cosmos as your flagship. You've got some legacy clubs uh, in, in terms of the Railhawks, and you've got the Strikers uh, trading on the name of uh, of an old NASL club. And you've got some you've got some momentum, and you're putting your games on ESPN three, and that's that's a it's better than not being televised. But they have yet to find that thing that's going to make them click in. And I I I'm just curious here. Can you have a rapidly growing top division in MLS and also have a successfully strong second division if the way that MLS is growing is by poaching from the second division? It seems difficult to me. And I and we don't I, I don't expect we, we're going to see any USL clubs making a jump to NESL anytime soon. That division is in is is pretty clear. So you're gonna have to have new ownership groups step up to put an NASL club in cities where it's gonna work. And 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 even then you're still you're you're starting over. You have no established roots. I think I saw Oakland, maybe. That'd be fine. I don't know if the if the LA team's ever gonna come together. Probably not. And can you possibly compete when LAFC comes in and the Galaxy are already there? Interesting to watch. Fascinating part of American soccer. That's going to do it for us on a Tuesday. Thank you very much to David Cartledge and Christian Hennage. By the way, Eric Winalda needs to learn who those people are because they're both very good. They were both very good today. Eric, get out a little bit and go find out who these guys are. They do good work. Uh, hit us up on uh, Twitter at Soccer Morning. Go buy yourself a Soccer Morning mug. Backheel.com slash store. Soccer Morning t-shirts are available at uh, 3nilfc.com. Thank you to producer Trevor for his work as always. Am I missing a thing? Have I covered it all? I don't think so, but we'll be back tomorrow to pick up the pieces. See you then. Bye.